For July 4th, 2022, it's the Overthinking It podcast, episode 731. Can strange change? Hey, it's Overthinking It, where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny it probably doesn't deserve. The overthinkers are like your smart, funny friends from the internet, never happier than when we are sitting around uh, enjoying one another's company and chewing over the things that we love. Enjoying, We enjoy them more when we enjoy them together, and we enjoy nothing more than small indie films. You know, we love... Just really personal, you know, really just kind of small scale filmmaking. We, we love, uh, things like, uh, everything everywhere all at once with multiverses where they, uh, where they just did that, you know, with, with a small, a tiny budget. So we're going to turn, uh, to, uh, we're going to turn to a little small film about the multiverse. Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. I can't even, I can't, there's a, there's a, there's a, there's a universe in which I don't gaslight you. There's a universe in, 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 uh, which I tell you exactly what the podcast is about, but Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. And all I have to say is, guys, WandaVision season two is dark. It's dark. The alt for that joke was Sherlock season five is dark. Um, <laughs> hey, those two giggles that you hear are the giggles of my good friends, Matthew Belinky, alternate universe. Matt, hello, Matt. How are you? I, I would prefer to be announced as the smartest man in the world, if possible. Oh, got it. Uh, or Alpha Matt. We can call you Alpha sure, Matt. Sure. I'll accept that as well. Uh, and we have, uh, we have Pete Fenzel. Pete, you have to be uh, the one holding the knife. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, you'll be the one holding the knife. No, no you it's, can do it. It's okay. I, it after is, you. Uh, well, after I, you. Pete, I bow in the presence of the podcaster supreme. <laughs> <laughs> and uh and I'm Matt Rather. We are going to talk about Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. It finally came we finally you know got around to fielding a team for it and we uh it came on to uh it came on to uh the the Marvel stream matic universe. Um it came on to Disney Plus, so we're we're uh, excited that we can finally uh, finally see this film. I understand, Matt, that you have not seen Spider Man No Way Home because it has not been on Disney Plus. Uh, no, I have I have not seen it, but don't don't worry, guys. I already heard that Hugh Jackman is in it, uh, so you don't have to worry about spoiling that one. <laughs> it's I, I mean, it's amazing that they put actual Wolverine into the film. The only time. Uh, the Fox X Men have crossed over into the uh, into the Marvel Cinematic. The I can't only... believe he got in such good shape again while he was prepping for the Music Man on Broadway. <laughs> yeah. you, you and I have different definitions of actual Wolverine. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's uh, let's let's dive into this. Pete, tell us about the Fantastic Four. What? Oh, okay. They're a family. The Fantastic Four are about family. Were you really excited to see? I think think you were one of your fan theories about WandaVision was that John Krasinski was going to show up. And you were right, but you were just wrong about the season. You were in you were in WandaVision season two rather than season one when you thought about, you know, where you thought it was going to happen. So uh, so here's here's John Krasinski. 
It was great. So I think what happened from reading the various sources, including Wikipedia, of course, which is totally authoritative, right, was that it was supposed to be Daniel Craig as a lesser Asgardian, right? And then Daniel Craig didn't do it because of COVID. And it was and the, the rumor that John Krasinski was going to be Reed Richards, both in it in general and also in WandaVision, was so pervasive that they managed to, like, just get John Krasinski to do it for this movie or or maybe him doing it for this movie is something that inspired the rumor. But I'm pretty sure the rumor was first. I thought it was great. I loved it. I'm a I'm a big fan of the like introduce a really beloved and and sympathetic and kind of uh, exciting and capable looking character and then immediately shred him from his hands and feet inward until you pop his head like a cherry tomato. I mean, that's just totally what comic books are all about. right? Uh, <laughs> this felt a lot like remember in Deadpool, Deadpool 2 where he has this sequence where he like selects a team and preps them for the mission and then every single one of them is killed in like a, a parachuting accident getting including uh, Brad Pitt who was fed through a wood chipper <laughs> um it was sort of like that where they where they go through the trouble of introducing the the world's you know most elite uh heroes uh, only to prompt almost effortlessly uh wipe them out and in in the case of 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 john krasinski i don't think he even gets to like use his powers he is just instantly destroyed yeah, at the at the molecular level he stretches his hand forward like ever so briefly before it is uh torn apart yeah for sure yeah definitely can I can I ask you? This is the least consequential thing we should talk about, but I'm curious. Great. Let's start with that. <laughs> They're going to make a Fantastic Four movie. Do okay. you think they will then cast John Krasinski as Mr. Fantastic? And if not, will they give any explanation as to why he looks completely different in this alternate universe? Or will they just like never mention the fact that like when he was in the alternate universe, he was John Krasinski? I think that they when they do it, it will not be John Krasinski. But when they do it, the multiverse, the multiverse will still be a thing and they will detect other Reed Richards in other universes, including the dead John Krasinski. <laughs> I think like, <laughs> he, he was the smartest of all of us, but he left us far too soon. Right. Uh, I think I think there'll be some sort of nod to it, but it'll be very oblique. Uh, yeah. I mean, who knows? Maybe they are doing it. That would be great. But I, I am skeptical. I, I I personally feel like. The Fantastic Four should be black at this point just to, like, really mix it up. Right. That's just, interesting. I, I feel like if it's because because then being related by blood. Right. Um, is is uh, something that's different for them than for a lot of the a lot of the different superheroes. Um, I mean, I guess Ant-Man and his dad, but not so much. So so the idea that you're going to do a whole thing about a whole family and they're all white, like, ah, I mean, you could do it like you did it in um, in the sort of. Verhoeven-esque, terrible Fantastic Four movie and kind of mix and match. But um, I don't know. I, I think that we're going to see a very new look Fantastic Four. I think they're going to look very different from how we expect. That's my theory, though. My theories are usually interesting, but not based on reality. It's just like, hey, this is what I think would be fun. I mean, what do you think? Do you think that John Krasinski is going to be in a Fantastic Four movie at some point? I don't know. I mean, it. I Honestly, I, I've never really seen that cast. Explain to me why John Krasinski is Mr. Fantastic. Everyone seems convinced that this is the obvious thing to do. Well, I think the idea was what, that he would what be Mr. Fantastic. What about John Krasinski makes him seem like the world's smartest man? Well, I think you the know? thing about John Krasinski is that he's married to an actress who could also play a superhero. Yeah, so we think that fan casting, fan casting John Krasinski for Mister Fantastic is just an excuse to get Emily Blunt to be the Invisible Girl. Invisible, <laughs> you say you is she say the Invisible just. Girl or Invisible Woman? 
Susan Storm, Matthew. She has a name. <laughs> she has a nickname too. I just can't remember yes. what it is. Well, she, she she's just an, a Jessica Alba. There is an intermediate time where it's unclear whether she is a girl, but not yet a woman. But no, she is, I believe, at well, one point. She's invisible. Girl. You can't see whether she's a girl or a woman. <laughs> no, and she's invi- I think of her as the invisible woman. I probably at one point she was the invisible girl. I don't know, man. <laughs> this is this is a true multiverse of madness. It's like so, Pete. See, remember that movie you just saw? What about a comic from 1962? How about that? <laughs> <laughs> well, let's uh, let's use. Uh, let's pivot on things that are interesting but not based on reality and talk about Doctor Strange. And the, <laughs> talk, talk about actual Doctor Strange. Talk to, yeah, talk oh, about yeah. the, you know, Stephen Strange, the, the real person. And, um, you know, he starts off going to, to a wedding. I think, Pete, as you put it, he goes to a wedding dressed for a funeral. Uh <laughs> You know, but I don't know. He looks he looks good in his suit. I guess the uh, I I just it brought to mind uh, Sherlock season three episode two, which is you know uh, in large part Benedict Cumberbatch giving a wedding toast. Um, it was uh, truly uh, uh, it was truly interesting. But uh, you know he uh, he this this is a film we talked about. Uh, uh, we talked about the way the last film that we spoke about like. Uh, began and ended um but this film you know begins begins with a wedding and ends with uh ends with a zombie <laughs> i guess is is how it ends what uh what happens to to doctor strange uh in in this film and why i thought guys i thought wanda was okay at the end of wandavision but apparently she's not uh when when we find her in in this film, or I guess in the after credits scene of WandaVision as well, she was multiversing it up with the dark hold. Um, but yeah, I don't know, Matt, what, what do you make of Wanda's weird transformation? Uh, or maybe I, she was like I, this all along. Uh, we did a podcast yeah. about WandaVision. Um, yeah. and I remember in the final episode of the podcast, we talked about things, nitpicks that we had with the finale. I think a bunch of us in different ways felt like the final episode of WandaVision didn't quite stick the landing in, in multiple ways. So I remember like one of the, one of the complaints was that the whole conceit of it being that like, you know, she's expressing herself through TV cliches was kind of completely abandoned at the end, right? There was nothing about sort of living inside a television show in the final episode, right? That, that they, they had dropped that for the language of witches. But another thing that bothered us is like, did she get the redemption that she needed? Did she like apologize? Did she face justice? Because it did seem at the end of WandaVision that she realized that she had done a bad thing, right? That she had veered into super villainy and pulled herself back from that brink um, by, by taking on uh, the ultimate sacrifice and, you know, disintegrating her happy family, which turned out not to be real and came at the terrible cost of other people's sanity. Um, And she says goodbye to her children. She says goodbye to her husband and she lets them go. And and then she she disappears for parts unknown, and it it, it is it is portrayed you know by the I remember like you know one of the other characters talking to her it's like these people will never understand the sacrifice you made so she she ends Wandavision on an heroic note although I uh, once again you're right that there's this after the credit sting that sort of tees up this movie, and I guess the question is like do we buy her rather sudden transformation from the sort of um you know, woman who sort of like, you know, lost her way in, in the depths of grief, but sort of like remembered what's important and, and remembered her sort of like better angels and did the right thing 
to somebody who within the first like five minutes of her appearance in this movie is threatening to kill a teenager. Yeah. Um, I, I'm torn because on one hand I do, I want to, I want to just quickly say one final thing, just one thing on the last topic before we jump to this. I remembered why I thought the fantastic four was going to be black. It's because Kang is black and Kang is related by blood to the fantastic four. Okay. I just wanted to get that out there. I had a reason for the season. Okay. Um, so WandaVision, I, I agree that the end of WandaVision doesn't really give Wanda any sort of way to get back to her baseline, right? And, and that she did a terrible thing and you want to feel like the show leaves her in a decent place, but it really doesn't, right? She goes to the woods to go crazy, uh, and, and to sort of seek out dark magic and it has this sort of well, ominous but, ending, But she, right? she gives up living in the fantasy of, right? She, she seems to accept the fact that like her, Husband is and by the way, interesting note for multiverse of madness. It never occurs to her once to find a universe where there's a vision that she could check up with. Right. That like she she just wants the kids. And I, I do <laughs> yeah. wonder, presumably there was like a, a draft of this movie where like Paul Bettany appears at some point, because in every single reality she jumps into, it's just her and the kids enjoying a night by themselves. And like vision is like off with the off with the boys at the bowling league or something. Right, which is interesting because in the other universes, there are universes in which Thanos was dealt with in a different way. And so as such, there should be universes where vision exists. Uh, but again, this is probably holding this all to a higher standard than we need to, but this is overthinking it, so let's overthink it a little bit. Um, but yeah, I mean, I guess like, I I did feel like that line was forced and didn't really feel honest uh, at the time, right? That line from Monica Rambeau where she's like, Hey, I'm here to support you. Why? <laughs> There's no reason for you to support her. Right? Like she was terrible to you. She threatened because, and, and like killed your friends or something. But I that's don't what know. Pete. That's that's what law enforcement is for. You know, they're there to support you. They're you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's the, they're there to cheer you on after you've you've taken people hostage. <laughs> right. Exactly. And encourage yeah. You to seek out other endeavors. I said, it's yeah, like an episode of like mass kidnapping, you know, or like, <laughs> I, I want a helicopter and I want no cops. And they're like, are you sure we need a cop to bring you the helicopter and just to high five you as you get in the helicopter, and right. fly away. Okay. This is how this, you know, it, I mean, it is interesting to try to like read. Obviously there was a lot of rewriting uh, because of the pandemic of both WandaVision and Multiverse of Madness. And we're never going to know exactly what the original, uh, we probably will know exactly what the original plan is in some documentary years from now. But we do know that it was originally scripted to have Doctor Strange in the finale. And in fact, all the commercials throughout WandaVision that are never quite explained, but like, you know, obviously have sort of significant phrases and, and imagery dropped in there. They're supposed to be messages that Strange is sending to Wanda to try to like snap her out of it or to try to tell her something about like, you know, what's really going on. Um, and I am wondering, would it make more sense if the final episode of WandaVision is because of Strange's intervention, she's sort of forced to give up the children, right? It's not mm. a willing decision on her part. It's that like the, the bubble gets burst. And they're torn away from her. And so she ends WandaVision and begins Multiverse of Madness in a place that makes sense where it's like I had everything and like Doctor Strange has taken it away from me. And now I've got a bone to pick. Um, and then they 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 sort of flinched or, or swerved for good reason, maybe, depending on how you look at it, and rewrote the finale of WandaVision to be something where Wanda has full agency. Right. And that what she does, she does because she. At, at least at the moment that she is convinced it's the right thing to do. 
Yeah. Yeah, they rewrite it to give her more agency because they are self-conscious about the fact that they don't when they don't give their female characters agency because they previously seldom gave their female characters agency. Right. It's like it's like it's like there's so many of these movies now where it's literally like you have agency. No, right? I mean, like, uh, Monica Rambeau worked for an agency, you know, that's true. A, a, gov- a government agency. agency. <laughs> but yeah, no, but I hear you. I, I'm not. It's not that I'm not troubled by it, but it's it's a phenomenon that I feel like has happened before. I think what it reminds me of is the gap between Infinity War and Endgame, where not only did Endgame pick up five years after Infinity War or whatever, right? But all the characters and the tone of everything is different. Uh, you know, like Hulk is in a totally different place. And the journey that he had to take to get from point A to point B is just off screen. And it's and it's I remember the Russo brothers saying, well, we're not going to make Infinity War two. Uh, first of all, it's sort of like, well, why not? Infinity War one was great. Yeah. Right? But uh, but but just that even though you're telling the same kind of longitudinal story, there are these places where you sort of jump things. You sort of jump the train off the track and onto another track. And the place where you're at is just very different. And that's what this movie felt like for me in terms of Wanda. You know, it is conceivable to me. I wasn't particularly bothered by the idea that given enough time and a different perspective than the first than the WandaVision show had, Wanda could end up like this. But it isn't a natural conclusion from WandaVision, right? It's like it's like a new occasion. It's a new story. Uh, and so it has to pick up somewhere different, which I think is is yeah. different for the whole serialization thing. And the, the whole MCU isn't like this. They maybe have been doing it more often lately just because things are so complicated now that they have to they have to restart things more often just to have solid footing to stand on, I guess. I'm not sure. And it, yeah, I um, think the, the dark, movie does. Oh, sorry. No, I was going to say, like, the, the movie gives itself a very – easy way to sort of hand wave away some of the character inconsistency, which is that the book is evil and you read the book and it makes you evil, which really rung a bell for me when I was watching it. And then I remembered that it was a Sam Raimi movie. And if you remember (laughs) Spider-Man two, right, it's exactly the thing where, where Doc Octopus is a good guy. He's not called Dr. Octopus at that point. He's Professor Otto Octavius. But there's some sort of mumbo jumbo about the, the, the uh, arms, that he, he has fused to his spine, have this inhibitor chip that keeps the arms from taking over, which is then damaged in the accident. And so there's a there's a heavy – I mean it's more than an implication. The movie basically says that like the reason he starts robbing banks really quickly after the whole accident is because the arms have overwhelmed his true nature and have sort of brought out his obsessions to the point where he doesn't know white, right and wrong. And it's got the exact same – both Multiverse of Madness and Spider-Man 2 of this exact same ending whereas this appeal to like you know alfred molina elizabeth olsen this is not actually who you are and she's like yeah you know what i'm gonna sacrifice myself to and and by the way much like uh at the end of spider-man 2 that she can be revived through a portal at any point for when they need (laughs) to drop her into a future spider-man movie Yes. I mean, there's another version of it that is referenced in this movie, of course, which is Evil Dead 2 when Ash's hand fights him. Right. And then there's and then Army of Darkness when you have Uh. entire good and bad Ash. And that's also related to a book. And and this idea that these you you can get sort of possessed and perverted and your motivations and agency can be co-opted by evil demonic sorcery. Uh, Yeah, it has a lot of examples in the Sam Raimi oeuvre. It's something he seems to be somewhat interested in. Um, we know, yeah. we, we know though from like eight, what was it? Eight, three, eight, uh, Wanda's, uh, you know, mind palace, uh, 
uh, well, her mind palace is more like a mind hovel or a mind cave. We know that Wanda can live in a uh, a small enclosed, you know, pile of rubble and rocks. So, you know, I, I didn't see her die is all I have to say about no, no, that. No, she'll come back. She'll totally come back. Well, OK, this actually brings up something I hadn't thought about with regards to this movie, which is weird because we have hundreds of comments worth of notes in our in our back channel about this movie. Um, what does Sam Raimi think magic is? is a question that comes to mind because I think he has a different opinion of it than WandaVision did. And it seems important, at least according to David Duchovny's, you know, unfinished PhD thesis <laughs> for <his> English degree <laughs> to understand the normative dimension of magic in American literature. Uh, right. The, the, the uh, what is the magic for? It's not just power. It, it represents something. It has a moral force of some sort. And Doctor Strange is the magic man. And so a movie that is about Doctor Strange seems like it's going to be highly concerned with what magic is. And in Sam Raimi movies, magic is often this like horrible, perverting, but also exhilarating and also, you know, kind of libidinous, but also, you know, like nightmarish uh, uh, presence, you know, I don't want to say force, but like. It's almost like a thing that you inhabit or inhabits you or blurs the line of what's controlling of bodies and things like that. I mean, sure. I mean, you, like yeah. the, the, I, I think that we can kind of look at some of the visual characteristics of magic in the movie and get like a few steps towards answering your question, right? Magic is, is connected with it, with, with what? With miasma? My, miasme? Yeah, fog. Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. Right. So fog, uh, whether it's the black fog, uh, that Wanda emerges out of, uh, outside of Comertage or the red fog where that 616 Wanda, uh, you know, uh, uses to sort of, to horror movie uh pop out of you know to to snap poor poor captain picard's neck uh right there um like you know like some kind of q who does she think she is q uh (laughs) on the uh uh on the holodeck there on the mental holodeck so um so it's miasmal it's also like it's kind of watery i it's it's sort of elemental in that like it's connected seems to be connected with water and it seems also to be it seems also to be like connected with with sort of gooey gelatinous uh things even the you know even the pew pews when they shoot laser beams out of their hands right seem to be more like spider-man webs than they are like uh star wars blasters and you know i the 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 pew pews sort of intertwine um you know and it it looks a little more like the the wand you know i don't know some of the some of the the weird homoerotic wand stuff i shouldn't say weird it's not weird because it's homoerotic some of the homoerotic wand stuff in uh harry potter um where you have you know a wand on one act wand on one action well the the uh uh the wanda on benedict action is you know has a similar like entwining of energy so there's like a um what's the what's the the thing i want it's it's like strandy you know it's yeah. uh uh kind of gloopy um a little bit and I, so there's some like visual characteristics and so it's it's asso- i mean it's associated rather than being associated with transcendence with maybe the element of air or with you know a kind of um uh, a kind of like mental 
uh, kind of mental power that kind of abstracts you from the physical world. It seems to like actually be a lot more, a lot more down in the physical world. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, like Matt, yeah. I actually I actually noticed this one because in the original movie I did feel that the reason that that Strange succeeds as a as a wizard just right. as he did as a surgeon is it feels very intellectual the magic fights that they have that the big final uh, showdown of Doctor Strange one is he basically figures out how to create this time loop because like that's the bad guy's weakness so it feels like Doctor Strange wins not because of his force of of uh spirits or his like emotion you know his passion he wins because he is like intellectually it's a chess game and he's two moves ahead but in dr strange 2 it feels very different and the moment i'm thinking of is for me there was the sam ramius moment of the movie is where he is because he is a zombie and he has offended the forces of hell apparently he is assailed by demons demons who sort of drag him into the into the pits and you know out of the the sort of depths just as he is about to be sort of like subsumed in this blackness christine sort of speaks to him through the you know through through the the gulf of the universe is it gives him what is basically a like a um a Friday Night Lights style pep talk right it's like you're Doctor Strange are you gonna let these demons push you around and he physically sort of like uh masters the demons and binds them to him like a like a demonic uh, Paul Bunyan and makes the demons into like a a uh, cool looking cape which I wonder if there's an action figure version of, of zombie yeah. strange with the demons as a cape. But anyway, it's like, that's, that's one of many scenes in the, the music fight is another one where it feels like whoever wins that fight is not winning because they were smarter because they use the right spell at the right time. They're, they're winning because they, they have a certain mojo, right? They have, a, they have a certain indefatigable sort of, uh, uh, strangeness. Yeah. Yeah. I like that idea that the first Doctor Strange movie, it's mathematical, but in the second one, it's well, I guess they use the word mystical, right? Mystic arts, uh, which I guess would relate to I mean, it would be a charisma save if it were Dungeons and Dragons, <laughs> like your personality and identity as opposed to your willpower and your uh, and your intellectualism. Uh, and so. So, yeah. So in, in, to, to loop that back with Wanda, the thing about Wanda in this movie is that she's a being of powerful magic. And so she has to reflect what magic reflects in this movie, which is this alien force that's horrific and kind of exciting, but also terribly destructive and perverse that exists kind of outside of the grasp of of almost all people. Like in Army of Darkness or Evil Dead 2, where Ash is like the regular person and in encountering the magic, a big part of the comedy is that he isn't just utterly terrified by it all the time. So so you're saying, Um, Pete, what what I hear you saying is that it's about childbirth, right? It's about a a kind of... (laughs) You said it was WandaVision 2. I'm saying that it's Terminator 7, (laughs) Uh, (laughs) which actually isn't that far off when you think about it, that that, uh, Wanda is the Terminator. Um, But yeah, I mean, to take that an extra step, right... Um, to take that an extra step, it's about – I mean it's about love, right? This is about – it's about love and fear, and, and it's about love and fear having a horror movie-esque relationship with each other rather than a like can't-hardly-wait type relationship with each other where it's like, no, you don't be afraid. Just reach out. Just take that leap and, and believe in love, and it'll be okay. You no, know, it's like I kind of am in love with this person. Like – also, my feelings are a giant one-eyed octopus monster that's devouring the city and killing small children. Right? Like it's uh, it's and and I just want to stab myself in the eye. 
right, uh, in, in order to punish my feelings, um, which, which I guess is sort of what I'm getting at in terms of, okay, what is going on with this movie, <laughs> right? And, and I, I think <laughs> oh, finally, somebody, finally, 20 finally. minutes in, let's get to this, let's get uh, to this well, question. Sorry, 30 I, I minutes <laughs> I acknowledge and celebrate that we started by thinking about Wanda because clearly her character in this movie is along for the ride a little bit. I mean, she's the antagonist, obviously, but the movie has not been built around Wanda. Uh, Wanda is this big factor in it, but but it's Doctor Strange's movie. And um, and and of course, part of it being a horror movie or horror ish movie is that he isn't the all powerful. He is not the he is not the master of the things that are happening around him. Uh, a lot of other people that who are, you know, Wong is the Sorcerer Supreme at this point, not him. Uh, right. This whole idea of like, yo, you need to you always have to be the one to hold the knife. And and right. OK, if you're not holding the knife, I, that's such a beautiful line. I love that line for so many reasons. I love the line about you. You have to be the one who holds the knife. I love Here's one reason. If you're in a room and you're not holding the knife, but someone else is holding the knife. What's that situation? <laughs> like, yeah, and I think I think that's exactly the point. You know, so uh, there there are a couple things that that phrase comes to apply to, and one of them is even before that scene at the wedding, while he's waiting in the in the pews, you know, the guy berates him about his dead cats because he got he got uh, snapped out of existence, and he came <laughs> back and there was a bunch that. of mummified cats in the bathroom, right? <laughs> um, and then, but then that that's the you know the, the guy sort of. That's the exposition. That's the first exposition in the movie is the dude who's with his mummified dead cats in his bathroom, right? Oh, no. For the first one is the is the portal thing, and then it's that. Oh, it's so great. Sorry. Go on. Go on. Go on. Yeah. No, but then, then the, the guy's like, you sure there wasn't any other way? And mm-hmm. and Stranger says, like, nope, that was the only call that there was to make. Although at the time, he either seems maybe a little doubtful or just really uncomfortable with what's an awkward conversation. This is why he never leaves the sanctum. Um, right. but then, and later in the, so, so that's thing. Number one is that like, he, he took this decision. He made the call to, to let half of existence get snapped out of existence for five years, because according to him and his calculus, this was the only way to win the ultimate victory. We of course, like believe him, but you can see how other people might not. But then, so later in the movie, uh, Patrick Stewart delightfully narrates the story about how you know, this parallel strange in order to save his universe ends up accidentally destroying another universe. And it was sort of this, you know, the, the same, the problem with strange is he always has to be the one holding the knife. And when the knife is large enough to cut the universe in half, it becomes a problem that like, he doesn't want to consult anybody else before making that slice. Right, right, right. It is interesting as much as we're dissing the, MCU a little bit for its inconsistency. It is interesting that when Strange is making the decision in Infinity War, he's looking forward in time from where he is right now. And the multiverse doesn't exist because of the different things that are happening from where you are right now. It's all of the things that have happened in the past that are different, which at this point, Doctor Strange can't change. And furthermore, we know from the Loki show that the uh, the temporal authorities have been pruning all of the other universes. So the Strange who destroyed the other universe could not have done what he did in a timeline in a timeline in which he who remains is still at the end and Loki hasn't gone to the end yet. <laughs> so and none of way, this my, matters. My, 
My Is older that- son that I that I saw the movie with, he's 16, but he, he raised a terrifying question to me where after the movie, he claimed that would strange wiping out an entire universe is basically not a crime because it's literally impossible for anyone to care. Oh, right? that, that like <laughs> everyone in the universe is gone instantly. So nobody knows what happened. And if you're in another universe, then you have no idea that that universe exists. So why do you care? I mean, it's a good I mean, I think it raises important questions in the theory of law and like how to how to. And in my theories of parenting and whether they've worked out. (laughs) 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 But but okay, so to go back. So the wedding scene is so great. It's so important in this movie and so great as the sort of foundation for everything else that happens. Um, I want to spin out like a little bit of the vocab, the visual vocabulary of the wedding scene and talk about the knife and another meaning of the knife. which is that the knife is that which separates. And uh, it's sort of like, you can't break up with me. I have to break up with you. And the idea that you broke up with me is to me intolerable. Like I can't tolerate the idea that you separated my world, which, which I think, I think, and this I think accounts for some of the um, relative weakness in the plotting of the movie, other than the fact that they were shooting it by the seat of their pants, like the day after they were writing it, as they kept rewriting this stuff. Um, and I, I mean, I think it's very impressive, especially knowing that going into it. Um, but that like uh, um, but but that that concept, right, is um, is is uh, is reflected in the way that the movie is constructed, like throughout. So um, what I really want to talk about is the black and white and, and mm. the divisions, the sort of delineations. Right. So so we talked about I, I mentioned to you how Dr. Strange shows up to a wedding dress for a funeral now, it's a, even a little bit more complicated than that. And the movie, I think, does this a lot in ways that are, uh, first of all, could be done in post-production. So you have time to think about it and do it later. Uh, and second of all, are like really cool and stylistically interesting and inform a lot of what's going on in the movie. Um, Doctor Strange is wearing a blue suit to Christine's wedding with a white shirt and a red pocket square because he is a superhero in a Sam Raimi movie. So he wears red, white, and blue. And that is most of the time what Tobey Maguire Spider-Man wears. It's like what the kid from Small Ma- Smallville wore in that show almost it's all what, the time. It's what America, right? like, I mean, America has a literal American flag on her, on her uh, uh, jean jacket, though it's, you know, not clear that she's from this unit. She's not from this universe. So where, where she got it, I, I kind of wonder. Yeah, and I feel it's like actually the Polish flag in that universe. <laughs> yes, she's she's a, she's she's a she's a member of Solidarnosc, right, <laughs> of the Polish labor movement. Um, but uh, but okay, so um, <laughs> now I'm just laughing. So he's wearing a red the, white. That, so, I think the joke is if we if we got the clip from uh, a Man of Steel where he's like, "Where I come from, it means hope." Yes, exactly. not not like you're in your universe. <laughs> So, um, but when he's in the chapel and in the wedding reception, the light is so washed out and everything is so white and the post-production, the saturation is way down. It looks like he's wearing a black suit with a black tie. And then when he goes to talk to uh, Christine in the bar, which is this wonderful scene, then it really looks like he's wearing a black suit with a black tie with black hair. And he's got the white hair on the sides and a little bit of the white shirt. And she's got a white dress and she's got really dark brown hair that's up. And you can see the hair on the nape of her neck is virtually black. And she has dark eyes and, and dark eyebrows, but everything else is white. And then behind them are a man in a black tux with white hair, just stark white hair. And a uh, and he's Asian. Uh, and then because because they don't want to make it too, too obvious because the woman he's talking to is black, but is wearing all white. 
So she's got black hair and black skin and a white dress and the saturation is all way down. And then there's a waiter who comes by who has a white shirt with a black vest, right? And the, and the walls are that black, you know, Japanese gold inlay style, um, uh, like repaired ceramic marble effect from the Loki show, but black. And then when Doctor Strange steps out onto the Sam Raimi balcony to face the Green Goblin, I mean the octopus monster, then he's wearing a blue suit, a bright blue suit with a bright red car uh, carpet, uh, carpet square, uh, pocket square. And he leaps from the balcony and pulls out his, his cloak, right, which spins around him uh, in, in, a, in a twirl of red, which recalls, as Matt has said, the miasmas, the fogs, the ropes, you know, the sort of billowing and swishing and swirling and grabbing. Uh, the 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 various kind of like organic and and biological energies of magic that kind of flow and and furl and pierce right um, in, in all of their various uh, Freudian and Jungian manners um, and 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 I think that this is reflected in like a lot of scenes where there are scenes about people feeling distant from each other people feeling separated from each other you know, who's holding the knife, the knife that separates peoples, where the people are set in stark black and white due to lighting effects and desaturation and also elements of the fantastical scenery. Like there's there's white foliage trees with dark black trunks that Doctor Strange and America go by at one point in the future city. In the in the in the city with the flowers and all the buildings, all the people are sort of scaled out and monochrome and all the buildings are super bright, which is a real commentary on you know, uh, kind of like modernist thinking about cities and how wonderful and amazing it is to have tall buildings. And, you know, it's metropolis, right? Where we're like, the tall buildings are great. The robot lady is great, but the people are just like schleps in jumpsuits. Um, and, uh, and, and it, it really works with, with Wanda, right? Where, you know, inside of Wanda's mind, there's the white room with the black hole and Patrick Stewart is kind of reaching into the black hole to pull out the Wanda who's inside there who wears white. Also, and then he's the wearing he's wearing a black turtleneck and yes, gr yes, and gray yes, pants exactly. and just a really pronounced kind of silver belt buckle, uh, you know, and I, I just thinking like, man, Patrick Stewart still got it. He's still he really got it. <laughs> but the point being, yeah, exactly. The point being that like and then Wanda's billowing red comes in and there's this. There's this sort of triple factors. There's this party of three, which are the two things that have been separated and and that are sort of reflecting a a, a brokenness of reality, um, which are the, the white and the black, which which are against each other and don't really combine all that much. And then there's the red, which is like the rage. Right. Which is like the like I am going to force the love to happen. I am going to force the unification Right. I am going to force my I'm going to force myself across the barrier. Right. I'm going to break from this universe into another universe and force the things that have been separated to be together again. And it's this red, bloody, furious, terrible, yonic thing. Right. This like sort of, uh, you know, um, even, even when it's Dr. Strange's cloak, it's this broken love. It's this maladaptive broken, obsessive, narcissistic desire to subsume the other, to avoid abandonment or, or, um, like, or separation. Right. Um, it's, I mean, you could call it Lacanian maybe, right. Because it's like about, you know, uh, not living up to the perfection of what you see as relationships. Uh, and, and I, I mean, I, I described in our description is very as Schopenhauerian because I love Schopenhauer's take on superhero movies where it's like, it's the will to life, right? The will to make a union and make a baby is this red 
angry, sad, always frustrated, never fully happy uh, desire that humans are cursed with, right? Like Dr. Strange is cursed to be in love with Christine because it never works, you know, and he's always going to love her and it's never going to work. And so he's going to put on his red cloak and work his mystical arcane magics and like you know, use this. supercharged samples. I'm just saying that like we only know of three Stranges, right? That, that And none of it, it doesn't work out for them, but it's not like he knows in every single universe. That would actually be hilarious if that was like, somehow his failed relationship with Christine was the anchor that tied the whole universe together. Because it was I literally... Mean, I, think he, I think he actually says it at one point, that there's no... Does he actually, does does he actually she say, say it? it? Like he does she say it where there's no universe where this happens? it was more of a metaphor. I guess normally oh, yeah. when somebody well, says there's metaphor. no universe where this happens, it's more of a metaphor. But in this case, it might be like a scientific truth. I thought that it had been mentioned at some well, because it's interesting because there's the red haired Christine, who is the one who actually likes him, uh, right? Who is different from the black haired Christine, which is the one that is the object of his desire and exists as sort of this passive object that he looks at, right? Um, and the one, but, uh, who, the one who actually likes him is the one, you know, who actually seems to be able to like to, to have healthier boundaries, honestly, yeah, and around him. the one who killed him, I think, right? Yeah, exactly. He, he, Hel- healthy like, boundaries, you know? Well, yeah. <laughs> partially responsible for his death um but yeah yeah there's but i think a lot of the because this this is why again what makes the action sequences work in this movie for me is looking for these vocabularies of what does magic mean what does what is a what is a golden rope in this context well first of all it's magic right second of all it's noble magic well it's there's the golden magic. yeah there's go, there's like golden magic and then there's red magic right and like in yeah. the camaraderie battle which is i i think one of the observations that was very good in uh you know as we were talking about this in slack to prepare for this episode was that like the the action scenes happen in in kind of de-escalating order of pew pew pewness the 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 first ones are the most pew 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 i even said to myself pew 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 when uh in the camaraderie battle when it was you know jets of uh yeah jets of magical light fighting i mean god at least in black panther panther the 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 cgi punching was actual you know cgi rendered uh michael b jordan punching uh cgi rendered chadwick boseman like goodness the the um the, you know, at least there was some some reality to that f- entirely fake computer rendered, uh, you know, punching battle they had. This was just like animated. This was just like rotoscoped beams of light, uh, it, you know, inter- intermingling with each other. But the, uh, you know, the the yellow the yellow circular shields versus the red uh, jets, the red like jets of of aggressive magic and, um. Yeah, that, that like, uh, that was the most pew pew pew. And I'm, I sort of mouth pew 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 to myself, but the, the, even to, to, to the final battle, like in the kind of the zombie, zombie strange in the, you know, I, in the throne room of, of the eerie, um, the, uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, the, the, yeah. uh, hey, we're going to make Wong fly, aren't we, mother? <laughs> No, Wong can't fly right now. Uh, he chose trial by combat, and he he pulled the oh. the uh, he pulled the monster down. Um, you know that that like uh, that was the least that was the least. I don't know. There was something more. I mean, and I guess it ended in a completely different way. It ended with a with a shaming rather than a uh, you know uh, rather than a punching. Um, but that's uh, you know it 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 definitely had a an a interesting arc relative to other 
Marvel movies. I I mean, I name checked Black Panther. Well, I didn't name check it. I I concept checked Bla- Black Panther before. Like that movie has a severe third act escalation. Um, where you know, hey, uh, this is a this is a story about family and an, uh like a fascinating society and a you know an interesting set of uh thorny political problems. No, it's about the fate of the universe and needs to be resolved with CGI punching. Um. <laughs> CGI rhinoceros. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) This one, no, this one starts with a minotaur, uh, you know, and ends, (laughs) I guess, I guess ends with the Cape of Demons, um, right? Fighting the, uh, I guess it ends with the, the Cape of Demons. It's not that it's not CGI. I don't know. Something feels more grounded to it about me, about the final, uh, battle in this, uh, in this particular one. Yeah, it's just a few people. Definitely have like a, a stop motiony feel. Mm. You, know, you know, just you mean effects wise, or the the sort of like you know emotional tenor of the whole thing. The emotional tenor of the whole thing. I mean, it got less. I felt mm-hmm. like there was a de-escalating uh, uh, progression of pew pew pewness, which I you know I really appreciated. Yeah, I mean, by the end, Doctor Strange is like rotting away. He's lying on his side and his arm is gone and he can't really do anything anymore. Right? He's been reduced virtually to a corpse and they're just in an yeah. empty room and no one else is around. So, yeah, it's very stripped down. And I think that final move of I thought I mean, I was audibly I gasped. I shouldn't have I shouldn't have gasped. I guess I should have saw it coming. But I gasped when America showed Wanda to herself when it was like, well, who can I bring? Where can I bring her? Well, how can I double cross her? Right. And it's like, oh, yeah, I'll bring her to the other Wanda who's going to hate her. Um, and and yeah, but she had already that. she had already like dreamwalked in that universe or one very much, very much like it. She seemed OK with the collateral damage of alternate universe Wanda. And like I, coming face to face with it, like what what brought her down to to a level where she had, I don't know, enough empathy to. Uh, see that she was causing suffering. I guess it was seeing seeing the children, you know, shrink away from oh, from. I mean, her. I thought it was because Wanda got a chance to kick her own ass, right? Like, like I I saw her being brought to Wanda not as a psychological like, hey, look at your kids and feel bad about yourself. It was more like there's only one person I know who's strong enough to beat you, and it's the Scarlet Witch, right? And and so I'm going to enlist. This other Scarlet Witch, who's been a character for most of this movie, but hasn't really gotten a chance to do anything because you totally like sucker punched her very early on, and she's the one who owns the thing that you want. And I mean, Wait, was she like, was she Scarlet was she a Scarlet Witch Wanda or was she a suburban housewife Wanda? I I couldn't quite I, tell. Well, I mean, I, I guess at this point it's sort of a Heisenberg situation where I I mean. I don't think of them as different people like Wanda Maximoff and the Scarlet Witch. I guess in the movies, they've been communicating it that way. Um, I was saying it more to imply like she has a lot of power. Like at that point in the story, I think she well, maybe if she didn't do Westview, maybe she doesn't have a lot of power. But no, even when she's fighting Thanos before Westview, she's supposed to have a lot of power. Um, And it's more like the deal that in every other reality those kids are supposed to exist outside the sort of WandaVision simulation, even though the house looks exactly like the house from the sitcom in the nineties that the, that the WandaVision people were in. Yes. So all the other versions of the kids are real. It was just like the, the, the one in the TV show happened to be something that's real in every other reality. Well, yeah, because she dreamed them. She, she, dreamed-, she dreamed them, but, but in the form of a Malcolm in the middle clone. 
right? Well, that's how she understood how to manifest her dreams, I suppose. If we want to retroactively make WandaVision fit this story, I think you could suggest that, like, like a lot of Americans, she sees she has that sort of isn't there a term for it? The delusion that you're on a television show mm, like the sort of the, uh, yeah, yeah. The like the feeling that you, your life is being lived in front of an audience. I mean, is anyone even listening to this podcast? I know they are. show syndrome. Yeah. Yeah, no, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, yeah, exactly. Yeah, no one's no one's listening to this pie. We've we've just been talking to ourselves for seven hundred thirty-one episodes. <laughs> but but WandaVision isn't about um like frustrated motherhood. WandaVision is about grief. Uh, you know, like those kids are dead, right? Like because Vision is dead. That that the, the, the it's not just like, oh, I missed the opportunity to do this. It's like they died. Whereas in this movie, they didn't die. It's just you. We're seeing the aspect of Wanda that's been separated from the thing that she loves the most. And she's become obsessed with getting back to it. It's much more similar to like a, a an ex, right, who is like stalking, you know, or like a parent who's been like given a restraining order and told to stay away from the family. But won't, won't allow anybody to tell them what to do and decides to kidnap their children. Right. Uh, which is a surprisingly common thing that happens in real life. Um but but it's not the same. It's not the same dynamic, I don't think. But yeah, why is it the same house? Uh, maybe I, I, they just didn't. They, I mean, I'm, Marvel Multiverse is weird because a lot of things are the same. And yet it doesn't have that sort of back to the future notion of the universe has a way that it really should be working out. And and if you do the right things, it will sort of pull you in the direction of the way that the universe will do. It isn't the universe is not like essentially chaotic and like Marty McFly goes down the street and all of a sudden, like he vanishes immediately because he changed the weather and his parents had sex on a different day. Right. Like it's not like that. Like there's this sort of normative force to is it a time travel thing? Yeah, no, it's like the the sign that says the name of the ravine is always going to be in that spot. The only question is what the name of the ravine is on the sign. Yeah. And in Marvel Comics, the universes can be like wildly and crazily different from each other, but they still have little elements like that. And I guess it's a comic book thing. Um, But yeah, no, it's a good point. I I, I guess like, you know, a Rick and Morty solution would be like there's a universe where Wanda is randomly killed by like a like a plane falling out of the sky. At exactly the moment that you're in now, and all you got to do is step into that universe. You can just take your place and keep going, and that would be that would really be a win. I suppose the the sort of fig leaf. At one point, Wong does question or just be like, the things that you want don't actually require the goals that you're seeking at any cost. And she's like, yeah, but like, what if they have like a a weird disease and I need a medicine that only exists in a parallel? <laughs> That's literally an argument that she makes. I'm not exaggerating. Well, what, like, it, yeah. Well, okay, right. Yeah. The, the, yeah. Find the, the Rick and Morty universe, you know, like uh, no one exists on purpose. You know, let's, let's watch TV boys. But it's right. funny like, because there's, there's definitely boys that need a Wanda somewhere. It just so happened at the end that America showed her a universe. I mean, I think I'm missing the point, which is the point is that she realizes that she's a monster. She's done monstrous things. She's no, put the Matt, universe Matt, Matt, she's not a monster. Sorry. Oh, no. Oh, no. She's a mother. Oh, right. <laughs> By the That's way. It's supposed to be like a dad joke, right? I mean, it's supposed to be like a grown line. Is um, it, or is it I feel like it's talent? a commentary on, on horror movies. There's so many monsters in horror <laughs> movies that are mothers, like Jason. It's true, the alien uh, from Aliens. Yeah. <laughs> I did want to point out that the writer of this movie uh, is from Rick and Morty. So, like, it's like, well, if they did it like they did it in Rick and Morty, like, he did do it like they do it in Rick and Morty in a lot of ways. Like, he interned there when he started. Uh, you know, he's, said, is this movie just Rick and Morty fan fiction? <laughs> 
<laughs> what would yeah and, and america chavez is just a more competent less scared morty. oh jeez dr strange <laughs> oh blah, man yeah america blah, blah. we got we gotta go to we uh, we gotta go america blah. Um, yeah, I know. It has, it's like, how come you always get to be the smartest man in the universe in every possible universe? <laughs> it is, uh, yeah, I don't know. It has, it has a much less, it has a much less improvisational feel. I, I guess, I don't know. I, I, I find, guys, as we're talking about this, like, I come, I, I come to bury Zombie Doctor Strange, not to praise him. Um, the, the, to me, like, I, the, let me contrast it. This is probably unfair because the artistic projects of these two films are completely different. But like, let's take a, a recent uh, multiverse movie. We talked about on the podcast, Everything Everywhere All at Once. And since that episode, I've had a chance to see it. And I, you know, I can report to you that my emotion, my like feeling reaction to watching Everything Everywhere All at Once was like two and a half hours of uninterrupted glee. I just felt giddy watching watching that film, and in this film, I I just felt a a a, a heaviness all the time. Really? Yeah, man, like I was wow. just like, oh god. Uh. I think partly it's because the characters were really reactive. You know, it wasn't a, a super agency movie. It was like you know, if Indiana Jones had to find a secret book, like he there there would be a red line going across a sepia toned map. You know, there would be like, uh, uh, the forward progress. And with this, it just, it, it felt like they were, they kept getting like stymied at every turn. You know, he spent all this time like with his, his hands in handcuffs or in a, in a glass cage of emotion. You know, the whole, the whole, uh, the whole thing was about like, or, or literally buried under the earth. You know, the whole thing was about kind of like con- confinement and constriction and, you know, the, the, uh, uh, weird octopus, one-eyed octopus monster, or the no, sorry, the mimic from uh, from Edge of Tomorrow that like pulls you into a starfish shape, your hands and feet like you know splayed out so that it can like I don't know steal something from you. Like the whole uh, the whole thing was about confinement, and the the there wasn't this sense of. Um, this sense of of adventure, I guess that that would have been fun. I, I you know, I also I I don't like I I don't have a ton of of love for horror movie tropes. Um, I mean, I I feel like I guess there was one jump scare in this film that was like underlined, italicized, highlighted, and like put in Comic Sans to <laughs> emphasize it, and that's that that I it was kind of fun uh to see like i i still jumped when the the monster jumped out from from, sorry not monster when the mother jumped out from behind (laughs) the uh the what sewer pipe or something like that it was uh it was good um another one out of the red fog i guess but like i i i don't know i yeah i mean were you were you gleeful pete did you feel like joy when constantly uh, Oh, okay. not, not to all the time. I shouldn't say constantly. I should say continually, not continuously. Um, I maybe. So here's an example. I'll give you an example rather than try to qualitatively explain it, because I definitely think I watched this movie a lot differently than than you did in terms of what my what I was watching for and what I was connecting with. Um and I think that that doesn't that's not good or bad. I think that just might be I, when I, when I looked at the threads in our chat about 
There's the threat about, oh my goodness, these are all the things I love about Doctor Strange. And there's the threat of like, these are all the things that are kind of stupid and bad and boring about Doctor Strange. There was almost no overlap between the two threats. Like we were talking about, like they were all, there was no argument. Like we were, we were all pretty much in agreement about the facts of the right, matter. Yeah, I guess no yeah. one said. Yeah, no one said, Pete. This like this kind of schematic use of color to to tell the story visually, in fact, did not exist in the way that you <laughs> that you says it did. And, and by the way, it was stupid. That's not a that's not a, a birthday present. That's a cactus, and it's not my birthday. Here's a machine gun. That's uh yeah no there was there was none of that. We were talking about completely different aspects of the film for yeah. you know the people who who really enjoyed it and the things that maybe rub some folks the wrong way i mean it is almost riddick-esque in the sense that it has like it is bloated with with details of various sorts and the surprising ones are, are surprising but i'll give you the example here's the example so they take dr strange's dead body at the beginning of the movie right which is a great sentence to start out with and they bury it under a kind of rooftop garden with cobblestones in a, a uh a te- old tenement house on the roof of an old tenement house in new york city like where matt and i used to hang out sometimes uh, back when we lived together, right? And it's like, from that moment, did you not know what was going to happen at some point, <laughs> right? Like at some point, we're going to get the super shredder hand, right? At some point, the hand of that corpse is going to bust through those loosely packed cobblestones and like reach up towards the moon, right? Because this is the this is the kind of movie that this is where the 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 things that are happening on screen are like very loaded. And there's like tension, 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 and then a like blow the speakers out release of the tension that's going to be some sort of, you know, justice, right? Some sort of like very well practiced and rehearsed sort of overblown. Uh, I wouldn't even say it's rote because it felt creative at a lot of times, but but most of it was like what was punctuating it. And so when we get to the point where Doctor Strange is like, oh, I know, right? And then it's like, super shredder hand, right? It's like, I've been waiting for that for the whole freaking movie. <laughs> and you delivered, right? It's more like I'm rooting for the movie <laughs> more than I'm rooting for the characters in the movie. Mm. Because the characters in the movie, I, I'm just reflecting on what it felt like. The characters in the movie are running for their lives almost the whole damn time. Right. Yeah, and and they are relatively clueless and and it is there's not like some brilliant plan they have to fix their situation. Um they are they are fleeing and they are just hoping that some sort of solution is going to present itself at some point so they don't all die. Uh, and a lot and, of the characters I mean, the, in this movie the MacGuffin that they're that they're chasing the, this sort of the the book that's basically the room of requirement that gives yes, you whatever yes. you need to win like yeah. that's the MacGuffin that's sort of keeping them going through the entire second act and then it turns out to be a big nothing burger right like that yeah. has nothing to do with the climax of the movie um which just goes to show that like this movie was like basically an excuse to like have them sort of stumbling you know from scene to scene rather than a, a movie where like strange actually um Gets a chance to sit down and really, really ponder the events of today. Yeah, his role as master of mystic arts is more along the lines of like, how do I become, you know, empowered by the chaos around me? Because because there's a big deal made. And one of the other things that this movie flipped, which I think is interesting, is that in WandaVision, Wanda is the chaos witch, right? And she's the chaos witch, and she's in this extremely rigid, ordered world, which, yes, she created. But you get the sense is that, like, the other witches kind of want there to be very strict rules. 
and around how magic is used. And this is related to femininity and related to like Wanda's inability to kind of live her independent life uh, in the absence of a man. And so at the end, she becomes like the chaos witch. But in this movie, the uh, the prophecy is that the Scarlet Witch will dominate everything. And so she's not chaos anymore. She's control. But the control has this chaotic dimension to it um, where it's like the the opposite of chaos. Control is not the opposite of chaos. Right. It's 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 more like chaos is the sort of fact of the matter. And you can either be powerful or powerless. Uh, and and I guess in, in this case, color is the opposite of monochrome. Are you are you colorful or are you monochrome? Um, like the Doctor Strange at the end of the world, who has like virtually faded completely because the dark hold is kind of like sat with left of him, and also everybody knows Illums is dead, um, which is kind of a bummer. Uh, but yeah, it's it's like, uh, and it's it's. I mean, I, I guess that's just it. I don't have to keep saying it. That's that's what I that's what I mean. That like uh, Doctor Strange is not the is not the master of an orderly set of tools that he's going to use to solve his problem. He is a person with the potential to harness the chaotic situation around him in a way that others don't understand in order to achieve a desirable outcome. And it only looks like he has himself together. Maybe that's, that's really what it comes around to. I think one of the big arguments of this movie is like that old saying of, Hey, you know, you're the only one with a backseat past a backstage pass to your life. You know, everyone else, you just see the highlights Right. It's like, oh, how come everybody's smarter than me? How come everybody's more attractive than me? Because you don't see the parts of their life where they feel like you. And I think to this extent, this movie was the parts of Dr. Strange's life where he feels like you, where he like doesn't know what's going on and feels totally out of his element. And yet relative to everybody else, he is in so much of a better position to get anything accomplished because he at least can interact with these forces in. It's almost like he's an he's almost like he's an ethologist for for madness for like craziness for for primal chaos and that he can he can interview it in its own language right which is uh um not necessarily contain it or bottle it up but like but like harness it right um but which is different than he was in the first movie like by a lot and in all the other movies but i'm i'm, I'm sort of positing a proposition here that like dr strange and all the other movies looks like he has them together because to everybody else he's super impressive um i mean it- I guess like I part of this movie is is a referendum on the question of, of can strange change, right? That Christine yeah. is sort of like you, you've always got to be the one holding the knife, and then in a much larger universe level thread, uh, the Illuminati telling the story about how Strange always had to be the one holding the knife, and he it had the ultimate penalty. Although if you're my son, you think it's no penalty at all. Because if you wipe out everybody in the universe, it's basically <laughs> it basically is like no a number is so Matt. large. There's no if a, if a <laughs> no, bear it, gets it, hit by it, a bus in the forest and nobody sees it, and you're driving the bus, just hide the body and you're good. <laughs> no, sorry, sorry. Go ahead. When you look when you're when you're playing Donkey Kong and you get to like that stage where it just overwhelms the buffer and it like can't display a score at all, it's like have have you actually scored a really high score because the buffer has overflowed? It's like you you never got a score. Oh, man, that's true. That's 100 percent true. I bet you hadn't thought about that. I've never gotten that far in Donkey Kong. But it, OK, so wait, here's here's my point. I want to I want to uh, try to close the strange loop that we opened up there is that, um, you know, the question is, like, can he be different than the other bad strangers? Like, can the, can this be like, you know, strange 2.0? And at the end, he tells Christine, no. Right. Is that, you know, she's like, you strangers are all the same. And he's like, yes, we are. And it almost seems like he's embracing the fact that, like, somebody's got to hold the knife, right? And that 
you know, like the fact is like not everybody would have the guts to sort of like read the dark hold to to win the fight because that's the one thing you're not supposed to do. But he will, and that's why he still is the only person he trusts. Like, I guess is this a moment where Stranger actually changes, or does he just accept the fact that he can't? I think he changes because he bows to Wong. Because what? Well, why? The thing is that here's the thing. Here's the thing. Strange isn't the superhero in this movie. Wong is the superhero in this movie. The things that Wong does are the things that the superhero does, right? He finds out the villain is coming. He gets the heroes together to fight the villain. He like fights and everybody's dying and he's like trying to save them and he can't do it and he's cast down. And so he like goes on the adventure and he's in the distant mountains, you know, like he's been kidnapped like triple X by the villains in the Austrian Alps. <laughs> and uh, and like at the end, it's like, oh, he's been thrown off the mountain and he's dead. And it's like, no, he's like climbing up the side of the mountain and he's throwing his spear and and he's the one who's like you can't kill a little girl right like uh um even though i think it sometimes they argue about whether it's actually a good idea because it would kind of like you know solve their problem but but it's like he's the one who like draws the line and is the hero and doesn't seem to be distracted or put off by his like personal whatever drama he has going on at the time Right. And then Doctor Strange is more this weirdo who has been kind of like thrown out of his life by his crazy interaction with Thanos and also his crazy <laughs> interaction with his ex-girlfriend and uh, and just isn't together. And uh, and and so ultimately what Strange has to do is he has to tell America that she's the one who has to deal with it. And and the idea being that, like, the I mean, the, here's another idea. Right. The difference between. Uh, you know, Superman and a wizard isn't necessarily in the outcome. It's in like, it's in punching, right? It's like, he's a wizard. <laughs> he's not supposed to be the frontline warrior. He's supposed to be the one who knows how to fix, fix the problem, but tells somebody else how to do it. Right? Yeah, like, like, if, like if you were putting together a D&D party, you, you need to pair a fighter with the wizard, right? Yeah, yeah. Doctor Strange needs and like that's, a Spider-Man. That's what he needs. He Man. cannot throw a punch. Right. But America actually can because and I was never clear on this. Apparently, in addition to creating the portal, she also could punch really hard. Apparently. Yeah, exactly. Right, she has like a secondary like uh, super strength associated with her dimension. Like she like accesses power from a universe where she like is stronger. That's awesome. Like I love that. it. That's great. But yeah, but it's like it's Cross like the universe. <laughs> I, just, I just I felt that like. To the extent that he changed, well, the thing that he really, the thing he really changes is that in the beginning, when Christine is telling, asking him kind of like what's wrong, he's talking about like, oh, you know, do you, we can't be together. Like, what's wrong about us is our situation. And at the end, when he's talking to Christine and she asks him what's wrong, he's saying, "It's I'm in pain. This just really hurts." And he can't say that at the beginning of the movie. He is maybe it's that he's too orderly and he's too constrained and everything's been too delineated and it's too neat. But something about his sort of interaction and kind of seeing a mirror of himself, perhaps to a degree, a dark mirror of himself in Wanda, who is somebody who's experienced a related sort of trauma and is like totally flown off the freaking rails. Right. Like he he eventually comes to terms with the fact that like emotions exist. And so you got to ask this. I think you asked yourself the question. Well, like, are you in control because you can't bear being out of control and and then at the same time it's like well if you can't bear being out of control are you really a wizard like are you really magic you know like where where's your magic if you're never out of control because magic is crazy um 
So yeah, so, so I don't know. I mean, again, we're we're spinning this stuff off. The movie is the scenes in this movie fly by. The dialogue is like racing, and it's like, yeah, that time that we went to that other dimension. Yeah, when you fought Thanos, you know, you had to look at all those different futures. Is that possible? I think it really was. Well, whatever. Oh, octopus monster, right? Like it's it's the dialogue scenes are like racing, um, and and I feel like are kind of jumping you from set piece to set piece to an extent. But uh, but yeah, I mean, I feel like bowing to Wong feels like it means something. I, I don't know. I'm I'm guessing at what it means. But um, it feels like it feels like something like he's come to some sort of terms with what he's lost and and come to terms with the fact that it hurts, but that it's the reality um, and that it's not this necessarily where his power needs to come from. He doesn't need to be Sorcerer Supreme. When I was watching this thing, I had the exact opposite theory, which is that the point of this movie has to be that Wong cannot be Sorcerer Supreme. <laughs> he's not tough <laughs> enough for the job. Because not tough to enough. Me, the, real, <laughs> okay, the, the critical thing here. The critical moment of the movie is is that when I cannot believe we haven't talked about this pivotal character, the, the Minotaur. Minotaur. Yes, the mine. I say <laughs> Minotaur. Is okay. that wrong? Have I been uh, no, saying no, no, no. You're time? being correct. You're being correct. Minotaur. Minotaur. I, I gotta talk to a Greek. Um, yeah, whatever. Right. And so that that uh, Wong knows where the Darkhold is, right? Or, or maybe Wong knows where the Darkhold is. She doesn't know for sure. And But Wong's not talking. And if Wong continues not to talk, problem solved, right? Like they've successfully destroyed the book that she needs. Um, all they got to do is not uh, literally tell her where the only other one is. But she goes right for the Minotaur or Minotaur. Um, and she knows that Wong is going to maybe last 45 seconds and then blurts <laughs> out the information that might potentially end the multiverse. And I thought that the point is that Strange has shown in Infinity War and maybe again in this movie that he is somebody who will not hesitate to do potentially catastrophic things and put lives in the balance. And that, like, if, you know, Strange doesn't care if you torture the Minotaur, but Wong does even though Wong might regret it afterwards the the fact is like he can't make the hard call and he doesn't he maybe he doesn't want to be the one with the knife I feel like I'm being very unjust because Wong is supposed to be the hero here but to me no. it's sort of like what why'd you why did you tell her that there was an emergency backup dark hole that literally nobody in the world but you knows about <laughs> you know I mean, I like, think, yeah, like, that's a great point it's sort of like there are some characters that we expect to be kind-hearted, and they're not going to watch their friends suffer, even though they rationally know that they should. But it feels like the job of Sorcerer Supreme, a lot of it is having the grace to like know when it's time to to put the lives of everyone who has ever existed or will ever exist in the balance. And like Wong's not Wong's not that guy, right? Yeah. Wong's not going to gamble with you know the 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 fabric of the universe that way but strange will because like better for for better and for worse he needs to have the knife i like it at the at at the end when uh when benedict cumberbatch says we we live in a world with with uh walls and those walls have to be guarded by men with the eye of agimoto yeah Uh, kind of that that, which is that like you know who's gonna do it wong like no like wong wong you know will blurt out like you know the nuclear codes once you start torturing the minotaur but strange wouldn't (laughs) <laughs> have you, you, want, you want strange stuff in football yeah, yeah. <laughs> i i feel like that's really insightful and i think it makes a lot of sense i think one way to to synthesize these things a little bit is okay you're the one who holds all the secrets you're the one who has to make the hard call how do you live with yourself and and yeah and i think that's a tough question uh, how do you live with yourself when your job is so lonely and the things that you do isolate you so much which might be 
one of the lessons of the guy with the dead cats who comes to sort of talk to him in the church, which is sort of like, yeah, we've all been through this thing and we're all incredibly, unbelievably isolated. Uh, and it's your fault. You've done this. Right. Well, like, how does he feel about himself? Uh, you know, in this whole mess. Um, and uh, and I think it's that he's in pain. Um, but, you know, it's uh, you got to go to daddy's got to go to work. Can't afford it. Um, but, yeah, I mean, of course, spending. I mean, now here's the question. Doctor Strange is American, but Benedict Cumberbatch is English, right? He's English, Matt. Yep. And uh, he's not like Welsh or something like stealth Welsh, uh, <laughs> even though he was a dragon. Smaug. Um, so but Doctor Strange is also pretentious. So when Doctor Strange has the football, what shape is it? Is it like an awesome <laughs> football? Is it round like a football? Is it like pointed on the ends and with that sort of leathery pig skinny texture like a football with the laces? Uh, is, I, guess, is it, I, I actually realized I was using a completely different metaphor because I, I, I meant like the nuclear football. Oh, I know. You know he's he's <laughs> the guy with the code. No, no, no I yeah. thought I thought you meant that that I was like, you want him to be your quarterback. Right. Is that like, look, you got to it's 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 the two minute drill here. Who's going to put the ball to the end zone? Give the ball to strange. The, and, the nuclear and, <laughs> the nuclear football it is itself a metaphor for a football. Right, like for, has, no, why for a soccer ball? <laughs> do you think that a nuclear football is just the word for like a device that controls nuclear weapons? I mean, I guess not know, for a soccer I, ball. That's true, but for a, for an American football, that like the quarterback yeah, starts with the football and throws the football. <laughs> I, I get all right. So it's a metaphor, but I'm saying brain. I'm saying that my metaphor skipped okay. the first metaphor and went directly to the second order. Meta was a metaphor for the secondary metaphor. Gotcha. What yeah. if Doctor Strange is Cristiano Ronaldo? How is this different? <laughs> <laughs> He's just chiseled. I guess Benedict Cumberbatch is already chiseled. The cheekbones are the same, but everything else is different. Well, I think that when you when you pull the eye out of the octopus monster and it sort of rolls down the street, I think what you clearly do is raise your hands in the hair and shout, Goal! <laughs> All right, guys, we have to leave the conversation there. Thanks, everyone who listened. Thanks to you, Belinky, and to you, Fenzel, for podcasting uh, with me. This has been our uh, excursion to the multiverse. Thank you for coming along with us through this multiverse of madness. Um, we're going to do a whole podcast, a spinoff about the Minotaur and uh, just what a, what a, just he was there, just, you know, in the back, because there would be a, minis, a Minotaur, wouldn't there? You know, there would be only one. one. They really get off those numbers. <laughs> well, you know, it's hard to get uh, it's hard to get admitted to to Comertage. You have to be rejected like three the only, times. The or only something. Klingon at Starfleet Academy, right? You know? Same deal, hundred <laughs> percent. Or the only the only Romulan if you watch Picard. Anyway, we have to leave it there. Thanks very much for listening. We'll be back next week with more Overthinking It podcast. Till then, you can visit us on the web at overthinkingit.com where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny. It probably doesn't deserve. I, I got to share one observation that Jordan made that we didn't honor in this podcast yet, which I feel like is worth putting out there. Um, which is that if you have sustained sufficient 
neural injuries like nerve damage such that your hands are too shaky to perform surgery. They are likely also too shaky to perform servicing and or repairs on a mechanical watch. (laughs) 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 Terrible. 